If you will, turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've got uh, copies of scripture right there in, in uh, front of you if you are in the building with us. If not, you can certainly uh, pull up on your phone or device that you're using and, uh, and join with us in this reading of scripture found in 1 Corinthians 12. And I would just say, if, if you are uh, joining us online, um, take a... Take a moment to gather everybody here to hear the word of God, and then let's respond. Respond as if you were here with us, all right? So, notice, uh, these are words coming from, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians, it's the first letter uh, of Paul to Corinth, chapter 12, and we're going to start with verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, <laughs> to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All right, well, we are um, in a sermon series uh, this, uh, this season of Epiphany. If you don't know, we're in the season of Epiphany, which can mean appearing or manifestation. And, um, and one of the things that uh, Pastor Bruce and I noticed as we we are tracking through our lectionary readings for this season that the church has prepared for us um, over many, many years is that we're actually stuck in Corinthians for a little while. Uh, in fact, we're stuck in the book of Corinthians for five Sundays in a row, 1 Corinthians that is, and then we'll jump over to 2 Corinthians and then we'll hit the transfiguration at the last Sunday of Epiphany, which is right before our Lenten fast when ashes will be imposed on you and we will begin our time in the desert. Um, and so with that in mind, we, we started looking at Paul's language here and some of the concepts. And one of the things that came to mind was manifestation, something being made manifest. And as you noticed, even in our reading today, this word comes about primarily in the sense of manifesting the Spirit's gifts to us in our life. All right. So what I want to do this morning in brief is, is just really three things. I want to talk about Corinth, since we're going to be stuck in that city for a while. 
you know, this is a, we're, we're really picking up on a letter that was written to a particular group of Christians in a particular place, Corinth, with a particular culture around them. And so it, it will be just a bit helpful to dive in ever so slightly to their world so we can understand why this is important for Paul and subsequently it's important for us. All right. Then we'll move to Jesus, naturally, right? And, uh, and talk about his lordship in our life. And then, finally, we'll talk about spiritual gifts. <clears throat> All right, well, concerning background here with Corinth, it was the largest, uh, most cosmopolitan, and most decadent city in Greece. All right, so of this area, this is the Las Vegas of this, this area, all right? It is Sin City. Uh, two-thirds of its citizenship were slaves, which was not, un, you know, super unusual in, I mean, that's a little high for one city, but, it, you know, the whole Roman context is that of slavery, so we have to bear that in mind. Um, acting like a Corinthian was a saying in the ancient world that meant you were doing debaucherous activity and particularly in the form of prostitution. Um, men went to Corinth uh, to take a moral holiday. And they probably had a saying like we do of Las Vegas, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Which is a lie, isn't it? Ask those with legal problems after visiting there or broken marriages. Or regrets. No. What happens in our body does not just stay in our body. What happens in our mind, the scripture teaches us, does not just stay in our mind. And we must be ever vigilant to excuse things out of our life that would corrupt us. That would take us over. That would infiltrate us and infect us with the ways of this world. Um, they had a statue of Aphrodite, and this was, uh, which is a, a, a sex goddess, um, uh, and it was the temple was eighteen hundred feet high. Okay, that's a magnificent thing in the ancient world. Okay, like we, you know, I like to go to cities and see big buildings like that. that I, what do they call it? Uh, I forget what they they named this something like looking at cityscapes. You know, basically. And um, I like to do that kind of thing. I love to look up and be, wow, look what humans can do, man. That's pretty awesome. The technology, the, the ingenuity, the engineering, the architectural piece. I mean, it's a lot, right, to do something. Well, 1,800 feet of idolatry in here, all right, idol worship. And in fact, <laughs> you know, um, Corinth may sound like some ancient far-off place, but uh, welcome to America where it's not so far from Corinth. All right, um, I, uh, in teaching uh, world religions, um, when Jessica and I visited uh, New York, right, which, which is kind of the pinnacle of human ingenuity and business, and, you know, if you want to show a, show a picture of the business world, you show a picture of New York, right, Manhattan particularly, right, and then you go to Wall Street, and that's kind of the, the ground zero of, of money exchanging and all of this in our economy, and right outside there is a bull, is a full-blown idol <laughs> um, that represents what, uh, you know, um, the economy in one form, bear market, bull market, but it also represents um, prosperity, right? Because 
bulls, calves, remember, all the way back in Exodus, represent prosperity. Uh, hopefully I don't have to move beyond that. We're all adults in here. And um, idolatry is always symbolism, isn't it? And right here, and, and last time we were there, just to show you sort of where we came from and not to be, not to be uh, um, improper here, but people were taking pictures with this bull in the most lewd ways. Children. And I just thought to myself, wow, we're really not that far off from Corinth. I mean, we, we went say, oh, yeah, we're proper. We don't worship idols. Like, come on, man. What about that black screen in our home? Do we sit before it quite some time and give a lot of time and talent and treasure to that? I, I think that's what idolatry means is what we give ourselves to in worship, what we bow down to. What we get our authority from. Where is that? Where is that for us? I, you know, Corinth would have absolutely seen itself in, in, in the 50s AD as, as a very advanced society. I mean, that 18 foot, uh, 1800 foot temple there, right? I mean, this is Greece after all. Don't you know the great philosophers come from there? I mean, we are a proper advanced society. And we would say that here in America, wouldn't we? Progressive, maybe. <laughs> right? We're progressing along. But what are we progressing toward? What were they advanced in but debauchery and sin? Not the way of God. And when Paul landed there in 51 or 52 AD to share the gospel with these people, planting churches along in Corinth, this church particularly that he's writing to, um, it wasn't much different in a cultural sense than our culture today. Now, God is the one who made up culture, right? Like, culture in itself is a wonderful thing. We have a culture here at Harvest Point. When you come in, you, there, there's certain things that you expect, right? There, there are, there's a way that one feels in coming into this community, into this even building. There's a culture here. And we should not, no culture, let's go stick our heads in the sand, circle the wagons and not reach out. No, no, no. Do you know that Christ is Lord? If he is Lord, he owns it all, which means wherever we step our foot is his. And we need to take back what is rightfully God's. We don't need to give it up. Oh, yeah, they've gone the way and just in a handbasket kind of thing. No, 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 no. We are called to charge the gates of hell to rescue the lost. That means this city, we need to claim it for Christ. The few blocks around this building, we need to claim this place for Christ and begin to exert his authority and his lordship over it, which means we've got to start doing it in our own life. That's the way his kingdom works, isn't it? It's got to happen in here. The gospel is not spread through politics. Thank the Lord. <laughs> amen? I mean, surely. You know, I used to have an amen section, by the way, and some of those people have left, and so I kind of regret that sometimes, that they're not just constantly giving me good feedback. Not that I need it always, but sometimes it's nice. That's a great place for an amen. The gospel does not go forward through the high and mighty, but instead... It goes through the humble. But that doesn't mean we walk through life not mentioning Christ. 
No, no, no. No, no, that's not the kind of humility he calls us to, is it? No, we boldly proclaim Christ. But we, in our humility, are humbling ourselves to God, not to man, not to media, not to government, not to bosses or anyone else over us. Think about it. He's writing to people that were slaves. And he's telling them to be bold, to do these things. We, we act like we have strictures on our life, right? Oh, yeah, well, I can't do that because, you know, this or that. Imagine being a slave in the first century and serving Jesus. The same things Paul is calling us to, he called them to. In fact, Paul will go further and say, look, I am a bondservant of Christ. Which means, I have enslaved myself to Christ. I'm his slave. He is my Lord. Master. That's kind of the cardinal sin in America, though, isn't it? <laughs> we don't like authority. No. There's one thing that we don't like. There's one thing that created us. It was shirking off authority. Shrugging it off. I mean, isn't that what we did to Great Britain? <laughs> it probably wasn't that easy, but... That's how we began, wasn't it? And by golly, my rights, my freedom, my independence. And look, I'm, look, I'm as patriotic as the next, you know, I really am. I, I, I love being an American, truly. And I've, look, I've actually been one that has been outside of America. So I know what it's like in other countries, uh, not all of them, but I, I know what it's like in, in the poorest, you know, country in the Western Hemisphere. And I know what it's like, you know, in a place that has over a billion people in it. And when I came back to America, I wanted to hug the sign. I like it. It's, it's my groove, you know. It's like, it's my home. I'm proud of those things. But listen, I'm a citizen of another kingdom. And when that kingdom comes into sorts with American kingdom, let me tell you, 100% of the time, God's kingdom reigns. Jesus is Lord, and my problem with authority as an American ends when it comes to Jesus. He is master. And I say yes. We also have a problem in the American experience, probably much like the Corinthians, with, with obedience. Authority is one thing. Obedience, another. You know, because you can be under someone's authority, but not obey. You can do things behind their back, under their nose, and they don't know. Such as at a boss at work, or, or somebody that's just over you, supervisor. You can do things they don't know about. But the issue with God is he, uh, he kind of knows it all, doesn't he? And he demands... Hear me. He demands complete obedience. Not partial. Complete obedience. Lord Jesus, help us. How in the world you might say, well, whew, pastor, listen, uh, 
I don't know if you've seen the Christian experience lately, but um, there's not many people living under the authority of Jesus Christ. And there's not many people obeying, like there's even less people. A lot of people would probably claim, yeah, yeah, no, 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 for sure. Jesus, absolutely, yeah, Lord, mm, God, yeah, for sure. He's Lord of my life, absolutely. If we were just to take a gander at your life, would we be able to tell that he was Lord? Would it be obvious that you're the slave and he's the master? Or what, I, what I've noticed in, in my own life is a tendency to go where I want and do what I want to do and then ask God to come and bless it. Now that's different, isn't it? That's, that's, that's me setting the agenda and asking God to put his blessing on it. We need to back up. You see, with Jesus Christ, there needs to be a full stop. That way we can listen. Before we start our day, Lord Jesus, who might I meet today that you would want me to become the gospel for them? Now that changes every meeting you do at work, every cashier you meet that takes too long at the grocery store, every server at a restaurant that might mess up your little schedule, or every traffic jam that you might meet. Lord, what are you doing here? You're giving me this. What sort of holiness are you wanting to express in my life through this situation? Isn't that a way to live? Whew. It's a tall order, isn't it? It's what we're called to, friend, is holiness. To, to notice, walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of our flesh. That takes us a full stop right with Jesus to say, Lord, Lord, what do you want today in my life? Who do you want me to go to? What am I supposed to be speaking? What am I supposed to be thinking about this situation? Not, Lord, I'm thinking this about these people, so burn them up. Right? You know, remember, <laughs> remember the Sons of Thunder, two brothers, uh, uh, James and John, uh, the disciples of Jesus. Um, they got together and said, hey, listen, uh, Lord, why don't we just burn these people up? They're rejecting you. Can you imagine how dumb they are? They're rejecting you, God. I mean, who are these people? Just get rid of them. Thanks be to God, he doesn't get rid of people like that. He doesn't listen to the foolishness of that kind of talk. When we invoke his justice, we better be full clear on what it is we're asking him to do. <laughs> Not that we don't. We want his justice, but we also desire so much his grace because I would have been one of the guys burned up. No, thankfully, Jesus shows mercy. It's what he likes to do. He loves it. He loves to show mercy. Do we? Do I like to show mercy with the God that pulls out in front of me? Or to the person that hurts me? Or the person that doesn't go the way I want them to go? Does that ever happen in your life? People just don't do what should be done? Yeah? Friends, as Christians, we are not to call fire down upon them 
but instead go to them and show mercy. Our fight to take territory is not against flesh and blood, Paul says. Instead, it's against principalities and powers of darkness in high places. No. These are victims of the enemy's work in their life. We don't look out there and get angry about what sinners sin. That's what they do. Now, in the church, it is a matter. When, when, when there's sin among us, then it, is, it must be dealt with. We know better. But friends, we've got to go to a lost world that doesn't know. And <laughs> Paul did this, didn't he, right here at Corinth. Corinth is an absolute, is absolute proof that Las Vegas can be one for Jesus. That Madison can be one for Jesus. That people can come to Christ in the worst of circumstances, in the most oppressive sort of governments and cultures and mediums. Well, talking about lordship here and Lord, what, what does that even mean? What, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? To be a first century Jew, it would have been very clear what it meant Jesus is Lord. And by the way, you know, uh, for 2,000 years, our family of Christianity has been confessing that Jesus is Lord. We do it every single Sunday. Well, it was the first confession of the church, Jesus is Lord. As far back as we know, this is the first confession that early Christians would confess out of their mouth when they gathered was Jesus is Lord. And it was a contemptuous thing to say. It was something that could get you thrown into prison. It was something that could get you persecuted by the Jews. Why? Because for Jews, okay, to say Jesus is Lord, a man is Lord, this human is Lord, is to say that he is God. It is to equate Yahweh with Lord. Greek in the Kyrios. Right? So when, when it was transliterated, the Hebrew, into Greek, they used the word Kyrios to translate Yahweh some of the time. So that when you say Jesus is Kyrios, Lord, you're saying he's Yahweh. Well, that's blasphemous to a Jew, isn't it? Only God is God. Well, that's kind of what we're saying here. We're claiming that Jesus, Jesus, the man Jesus, is God and Lord. He is the creator of all things, seen and unseen. Light from light, right? We just, we just, just sang that and read it, or read it one. Well, what would it have meant to a Greco-Roman citizen in the first century? Very simply... They use this term, kurios, Lord, for Caesars and rulers. Lord so-and-so, right? Um, Lord Julius Caesar. Uh, you know, this was, and they alone were Lord, by the way. Like, in that area, they were Lord. In other words, what I say goes, buddy, which means my lordship is the greatest. Uh, whether it was or not, didn't matter. In fact, this is where we get the term euangelion from, good news, was given by lords, <laughs> Caesars. Now, it wasn't good news often. It was normally higher taxes or more restrictions. 
but just like our government, hey, this is good for you, right? <laughs> no? Okay, well. <laughs> what they tell me is often good for me. It doesn't seem very good to me sometimes. Well, here's the thing. In, in our world, like theirs, we have to determine where does our authority lie? It's the good news. Not from a government, but from the government of God. And his good news truly is good news. <laughs> Which is why in the baptismal rite, we, um, for, for children particularly, we say, I, I challenge the parents, do you promise to become the good news of Jesus Christ? We are all supposed to be good news to our world. Are you good news at work? Are you good news at home? Are you good news in your hobbies? Amongst your friends? Not that you're just pleasant to be around. Christianity is not about being pleasant. It's kind of a plus sometimes, but it's about holiness. It's about love, which is more than being pleasant. You know, some of the toughest conversations I've ever had were some of the best conversations I've ever had. I used to tell Jessica, look, when we get into a fight, we love each other more afterward. Because we really do. When we're arguing about something, that means there's something to fight for, doesn't it? If not, look, if you, I don't argue with people I don't know. It's, which really should be, let me kind of just step to the side. Paul does this, by the way, in Corinthians. He goes, hey, by the way, this is me speaking. And I think it's great just to be single, okay? But, da 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 And then he goes back to doing what? I want to step out and say, listen, it really doesn't help to argue with people you don't know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can you see that online? It doesn't help. It really doesn't. I tried it. <laughs> it doesn't help. But with people we know, we must speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. We don't back down. Because we love them. That's why. There's something to fight for. I'm teaching, uh, I'm teaching Jackson to drive right now. And that's unique. You know, that's interesting. I, uh, have you ever taught anybody to drive? Maybe so. It's uh, kind of a scary thing, you know. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. Um, my life is in my son's hands, you know. Um, and... I won't hesitate at all to tell him, stop. Because when all else fails and you don't know whether to turn right or turn left or sharp turn or slight turn or gas or brake, you, you just need to stop. <laughs> we need to come to a full stop, buddy, all right? I don't care if you're in the middle of the road, you know, uh, which, which happened yesterday. <laughs> Made a turn, too sharp, going to go into the ditch. Stop, buddy. I didn't say, uh, Jackson, listen, uh, would you mind stopping? No, 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 stop. Some of us in our life, we're headed toward a ditch. That's why another brother or sister in the faith ought to be able to speak in your life and say, stop. Do not do that. Do not throw away your life or your marriage or your family or your testimony for that. No. No. But wait, who are you to tell me 
That sounds like hell speaking. That sounds like the pride of the devil speaking, doesn't it? God, who are you to tell me what I am? Friends, it must not be so. It must not be so. And look, I get it. We're Americans. We didn't like Britain, so we left. Why do you think there's so many denominations in America? We don't like something. Oh, you're going to talk to me like that? <laughs> there's a church about 100 yards from here, bud. See ya. And again, I just have to wonder. And listen, I get it. Sometimes you have to leave churches. Trust me, I know. But sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's selfish hiding. You get too close to people and they'll find out who you are. And we don't like that. I like my privacy. You know, it's easy in here, right, to dress ourselves up, to come in here, be not, hi, how how you doing? How's the family, you know? We play the game. And then we leave. (sighs) Countenance changes. By the time we get back to the house, we're our old self again. If that's so, dear brothers and sisters, if there's a dichotomy like that in your home, in your head, in your heart, with your hands, Jesus is not Lord of all. And as Hudson Taylor said so long ago, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Lord means all. We the slave, he our master. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't bite at one another. Put yourself in a loving relationship where you can be told no. Kids hate that, don't you know? I, I feel like most of my life when they're little bitty is, is no, no, no. Don't touch the fire. Don't touch the stuff. No, don't touch the out. Don't put the fork in the outlet. No. No, 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 no. I feel like that's... The Old Testament kind of sounds like that too, doesn't it? No, 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 no. But why am I doing all these no's to that precious little blonde-headed girl? It's because I want her to have life. I want her to grow up doing her hair, having fun with her friends, maybe get married when I'm dead. (laughs) And enjoy her life. I am her father, and I say no a lot because I want the best for her. When's the last time we've been told no and we said, brother, you're right. I was out of sorts. Sister, you're right. I want to repent. Would you ask the Lord to forgive me? Could I hear the declaration of forgiveness from your lips over my life? Now, part of my band of brothers that I confess into is, is here today. And, 
he can certainly tell you. Not what, <laughs> but that I confess sin and he has spoken forgiveness over my life. And so is my father who's in that band as well. And we to one another. And we often, you know, dad and I both look and say, if we're shepherds and we need this kind of level of coming to Jesus and hearing it from someone else, how much more the sheep? Which brings us to the next point. One needs to understand your holy orders if Jesus is Lord. If he's master, if he's commander, then he gives orders, doesn't he? Isn't that what masters do? Isn't that what lords do? Now, that, that, look again, in the American experience, so far and from us, almost blasphemous. What are you talking about? If he's Lord, he gives the order and we do it. You know, there is a semblance of this still left in the military, right? When you're told to do it, it's not, sir, but, <laughs> no, you go. What are your holy orders? Are you a shepherd? That's, that's, that's my light in, lot in life. It's my calling. Now, we're all shepherds to some degree. But in the church holy order, there are shepherds and then there's sheep. If you're the sheep, that doesn't mean you're less than me by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, Jesus is going to hold me more responsible for the things I teach and know than you. According to St. Paul, I'll be judged at a stricter level those who teach, those who preach. That doesn't excuse you. You teach and preach in your life as well. But I have a holy order on my life. That's what ordination is. But everyone is an ordained priest. Every one of us. But if we cannot come under the authority that God has given at a local level, how are we actually under the authority of Christ? Let me rephrase that. If we can't be under someone's authority here in a real way in our life, if we can't come under that and submit to that, are we even submitting to Christ who is the head of the church and who has called shepherds to shepherd the sheep? And you say, Pastor, wow, you're really on a tear today, man. Like, settle down, bro. Do you not think that I also have to come under submission to others? 100%. A disciple is always being discipled and discipling. Being mentored and mentoring. The scripture knows of no other kind of disciple. The Pope himself is under the submission of others in his life. Mainly Christ. But Christ, notice, has us in his body. Only as local realities. In other words, if, if you're not actually in a body of believers, are you in the body of Christ? Now, if we kept reading, <laughs> which we won't, Pastor Bruce, so uh, we would know that he goes straight to the body next. It's a natural progression here. But if you want to know about spiritual gifts, for Paul, Jesus must be Lord first. Before we ever start talking about these exceptional, you know, beautiful gifts 
of grace, charismata, which is where the charismatic movement got their word from, right? It's, it's literally, when it says spiritual gifts, it charismata. These are gifts of charisms or of graces. This is God's grace to us. It's his gift. What is God's spiritual gifts to us? Well, first and foremost, the best gift, which really comes in a, in a two-part package, if you will. I hate to talk about it like that. Maybe two hands of God, as uh, Ignatius of Loyola, um, early church father, talked about it. The first gift is Jesus Christ. The second gift is the procession of the Spirit and the giving of the Spirit by the Father and the Son to us at Pentecost. And isn't this the progression of the gospel itself? Jesus shows up and then he says, I must leave. Why? Because another must come. The paraclete, the comforter, the one who comes alongside us. Because friends, let me just tell you straight up, you won't be able to make Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit. Only by the Spirit can one say, Jesus is Lord. Which is why, which is why the spiritual gifts have to do with what we say, do, and know. Now it's interesting, the charismatic movement has, has looked along, you know, the charismatic movement, by the way, is only 100 years old and it's the fastest growing movement in Christianity, even to this day. In other words, God's blessing is on those, now notice this, follow my words very closely here, it's on those who are open and receptive to his spirit. For those who have closed off their lives and are too stodgy and advanced and progress too far to where they no longer believe in the spiritual or that the spirit lives in us, co-inheres in us, is one with us, brings the whole trinity to us, makes his fellowship with us. If you've advanced too far from there, then the spirit won't be at work in you. And we are all told to be born of the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, be empowered by the Spirit. Every critical point in Jesus' life, the Spirit is active. And in particular, Luke, remember we're in year C, which is the year we're in, is, is Gospel Luke, right? A, B, C, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke focuses primarily on the Holy Spirit. He emphasizes the work of the Spirit. Why? Because guess what else uh, Luke writes? Acts. <laughs> Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Acts is filled with the Holy Spirit's work in the early church. Why does the Spirit not work in the church? Why are we not seeing expressions of these spiritual gifts among us? Why do we not practice these things? Is it because we've closed ourselves off to the Holy Spirit? I hope not. The charismatic movement has been a corrective, I think, in the church. Now, movements often go too far, <laughs> have excesses, and it is filled with some excesses. But that doesn't mean there is a correction, a refocusing on God's Holy Spirit. Does the Spirit live within you? Are you cultivating a life of the Holy Spirit, of being led by him, empowered by him, gifted by him, fruits of the Spirit? He lists nine here, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Those are all things we say, 
prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. The things we do, healings, miracles, faith. And then finally, the things that we know, discerning of spirits, knowledge and wisdom. Is Jesus Lord of all those things in your life? What we say? Is he Lord of what we say? We oftentimes slice and dice people with our words. Think nothing of it. Maybe tell somebody off. Maybe, sadly, at our own home, we tell people off. Treat people poorly with our words. What if, friend, what if, what if we spoke life? What if we spoke forgiveness? What if we spoke grace? You know, I saw a cop this morning had pulled someone over, right? And inevitably, I knew to be looking for another cop. You know, why? Because when one's doing something and involved, another one's not far behind. They like to have backup. I like to think that we as Christians are called to the same sort of thing, right? Back up. I need you. I need your words of encouragement in my life. I need words of correction at times in my life. I need you and you need me. That's the way this thing works. This is not an every man is an island sort of thing. And I have experienced this in dramatic ways in my life. The lowest day of my life, which I actually have on my calendar that repeats every year, the lowest day. (laughs) It was in June. And people spoke words of life into my world that day that saved me. I was going down fast. We need each other, don't we? We need to know and to hear. And, And even what you do, acts of your faith, Things you do, they encourage me. When I see you obeying God, that helps me obey even more. And what do we do with the knowledge that we've been given? Do we hide it? Do we misuse it? When we hear something about somebody, what do we do with that? Do we pray for them? Or do we gossip? Slander. Listen. Let Jesus be made manifest in your life. Let him be Lord. Let him have your tithe, your talent, your treasures. This is a faith promise thing that we're doing. And it just is so applicable. On the back, it's got various ways that we can actually engage these things and obey Jesus Christ. Live in the spirit to be able to receive these spiritual gifts, so that the world might be saved. Jesus' lordship in your life should not be a secret. So let's not let it be. Let's shout it from the rooftop by the way we live, by what we say, by what we do, by what we know, and how we love one another. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.